Well, good morning, Pine Lake Covenant. It's good to see you all in the house of the Lord this morning. Uh, one of the, our top values here at Pine Lake is to connect and to care well for one another, to love each other well, to get to know one another. So we do that not only after the service and before the service, but during the service. And so we have a question that will help us maybe get to know each other a little bit better as we talk and share some coffee and donuts. And our question today is, what's your favorite vacation spot? Okay, go and enjoy the conversation. Be back here in five minutes. All right, good morning again. Uh, Find your way back to your seats, please, this morning. Um, I love the conversation. I love how we could probably do this for much, much longer. If we were in Africa where I was raised, it would be like a six-hour service, and we could take our time. But I don't think that's really what you all are signed up for today. (laughs) Friends, we are continuing our Lenten journey. As we prepare for Easter, and we are in the second week of our series on the last word in the final hours of his earthly time, as Jesus was dying, he spoke seven times from the cross. When we think of the death of Jesus, perhaps we do not often remember how active he was in his dying. Everything Jesus did and said from the cross was work. It was a culmination of his mission and his ministry. Final acts of deliverance, compassion, and grace were extended in these moments. Now, if you missed it last week, uh, you can still watch online, so you can follow with us in the journey. Uh, We began last week with the first words from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and today you will be with me in paradise. And last week we talked about that, that as Jesus was dying, he desperately, he, desperately working for breath, he was still victoriously announcing and offering forgiveness and salvation. Revealing the heart of God. Last words indeed can be very revealing. I'm pretty sure my last words will be something super snarky like, I told you I was sick. (laughs) Right, Rob? (laughs) Or something very revealing about a specific hatred that I have lodged deep in my heart for years. I will say something like, I hope there is no celery in heaven. Anyone else? Okay, there's my people. (laughs) Licorice, yes. Celery, no. Oh. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's last words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Sure, Leo. I mean, the Mona Lisa's eyes are like a little off. But our youth group particularly has this odd obsession with the Mona Lisa. Uh, for some reason, only the Holy Spirit knows. She ended up with us. I mean, like like the picture of the Mona Lisa ended up with us on our middle school escape retreat, which is coming up in a couple weeks. And she ended up running through the woods at night with us as we were jump scaring children. So the Mona Lisa has a special place in the Pine Lake youth heart. <laughs> Here's another one. When Harriet Tubman was dying in 1913. She gathered her family around and they sang together. And some have said her last words were swing low, sweet chariot. But there was an exchange of words after the beautiful musical moment. Her actual last words were, give my love to the churches. Tell the women to stand firm. Friends, when I read that, I got goosebumps all over. Tell the women to stand firm. And how fitting for today's last word. Today we are going to examine the next segment of Jesus' last words, and they are directed this time to his mother and his best friend, the disciple John. What we are going to do this morning is a little different. We are going to take some creative license, and I want to assure you that as I wrote this for this morning, it is all in scripture, 
And I have all those scripture references for you available. You can email me and I'll happily give that to you. But as we take some creative license, last week, right, we talked about how we enter a story. We like to enter stories. And today we are actually going to do that in some ways. So instead of hearing a sermon, we are going to experience a story. It is a story about a mother and her son, about a mother and her adopted son. It is about a journey to new relationship forged in faith. It is about a sword that pierces a soul and a manger that became a cross and then a throne and the woman who pondered it all in her heart. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John 19, 25. Now beside the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. Woman. My head turns upward again. I crane my neck as I look up against the ominous sky and the rugged outline of a cross. I've, I've seen these before. I've walked past them at the Jerusalem gates. Criminals hanging there. Rome making a point. Rome warning all who mess with the empire will be put to death. I've seen countless men hanging on crosses. I've walked past them all. Poor souls. Should have stayed in your lane, I used to think. Woman, behold. I hear his voice again. But it can't be. There's no way. This is not the voice of my son, is it? The sweet and tender voice of my eldest son. It comes from a cross. As if, as if he was some criminal. Surely not my son. Surely not. I cannot look. I look away. Wouldn't you? I stare at the splinters at the bottom of the wooden beam. Maybe this time, when I draw my eyes from the bottom to the top, he will not be there. I see blood on the wood. And I'm taken back, taken back to that first night with my son. Oh, it was so cold that night. But somehow, even in the chill, the star that shone so bright seemed to warm the whole stable and my soul along with it. I recall the agony of childbirth. Oh, and how I cursed Joseph while he stood by complaining of uh, being tired. (laughs) Really? I recall the first breath Jesus took, the first desperate wail from his lips, reaching for oxygen. I knew he, he was of God. He grew within me, placed there by God. But does the divine cry out? Oh yes, a lot of crying he made. I remember how crudely we cut the umbilical cord, but... Does the divine 
bleed. Oh yes, he bled and I wrapped up his wound in a swaddling cloth I had made for him and laid him down on a trough of wood. I will my eyes to gaze further up the cross. I cannot behold his face yet, but I notice all he wears now is a thin cloth. It's like once again he's in a swaddling cloth, laying on wood, bleeding. I I cannot look, so I focus my eyes again on the cross. Splinters. I wonder if this cross was cut from the same tree as his little manger. I think of all the times my Jesus, in his teen years, learning to be a carpenter, cut himself and bled on wood. Why does God's son have to bleed? What could that really bright angel mean when he said that Jesus would take the throne of David and reign forever? This, this doesn't look like a throne. Is a cross a throne? Can thrones draw blood? This one does. He cries out again. What kind of king is this? My son, the king on a cross. Above Jesus' head is placed the sign, King of the Jews. He wears a crown of thorns. Sometime earlier, the soldiers in mockery placed a royal robe on his body and a little reed stick in his hand as a scepter. And after beating him, Pilate brings him out to the crowd and declares, Behold your king! And the people reply, We have no king but Caesar. They would rather put their hope in Caesar. They declare their allegiance. Not to the one from the backwater sticks of Galilee, no, give us the capital. Not to the one born in a stable, but a palace. Not to the homeless one, but the one who owns all the homes. Not to the one riding on the donkey, but to the one on a war horse. Not to the one in thorns, but the one adorned in laurels. Not to the suffering servant, but the one who makes servants suffer. Give us Caesar. He is our king. They say. But what kind of king is this? Whose royal throne is a cross. The king of love who gives up his life. Let us ponder this in our hearts. That the one lifted up in humiliation will be lifted up in glory. That every knee will bow before him and tongue confess that he is Lord. The one who is given a reed scepter will one day rule the nations with an iron rod. The one whose thorns compose so rich a crown will wear the crown of glory and a diadem of beauty. And at whose feet every other crown will be cast down. Is the cross a throne? Where is our allegiance? Is the cross of Christ the throne to which we have placed our hope and in which we bow before? Woman. Woman. I hear him call out again. Woman. Is he talking to me? If so, why does he call me this and not mother? I look around I see other women, a lot of them. I see Mary Magdalene. I see my friend Mary. I see Salome, my sister. Oh, how they all love him. They love him so, so much. 
because he loved them so much. He enabled us to stand firm. And so the women, they are here courageously so to the bitter end. But where are the rest of his disciples? Why does Jesus call his mother, his mother woman and not mother? In our English translations, in our language, this may seem rude. And we are lost in the translation. But when Jesus uses this term woman, it is an address of honor as well as tenderness and respect. Some translations may say dear woman to denote the tenure. In many encounters with women, Jesus used this term to say wonderful, respectful things. To the first evangelist, the Samaritan woman at the well, as Jesus revealed the mission of God to her, to the bent-over woman he healed as Jesus extended healing and compassion. To the Canaanite woman when he commended her for her faith. To the woman caught in the trap of adultery when he spoke to her with mercy. And it is the same form of the word that Jesus uses when he tenderly comforts Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. Woman, dear woman. Jesus liberated women, affirmed them when the world did not, taught women Uh, gave women dignity. He engaged women in theological discussions and taught them as rabbinic students roles that were reserved only for men. He treated women as equals with the utmost respect. And so, at the cross now, along with his mother, are some of the women who loved him. Salome, his aunt, mother to the sons of thunder, James and John, Mary Magdalene, a woman he delivered from seven demons, and Mary, wife of Clopas. Women, We're the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. Courageous and faithful acts of devotion and dedication so deep and so loyal, indicative of the magnitude of the liberation that Jesus had on their life. And so once again, even in his last hours, with his dying breath, Jesus is moved to compassion, protecting the vulnerable, providing a means of life for his own widowed mother. And so when Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom he loved, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Woman, woman, behold. I I hear him saying something, but I cannot focus. All I hear is labored breath between the words. Labor. Raising this child has not been easy. It has been, yes, labor. But yet I remember I did tell the angel, may it be done to me according to your word. I had no idea what I was saying, what that meant when I said that. The first thing done to me was scandal. People whispered about me and shunned me, thought I was an immoral woman. And then when we brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, this priest, what was his name again? Oh yes, Simeon. He said something so bizarre and awful to me. Not the blessing I thought I would receive. He said, and a sword will pierce your own heart too. Happy dedication indeed. But he was right. Oh, my heart was pierced many times before this moment. I remember fleeing in the middle of the night to Egypt, 
fleeing for our lives for there was a genocide happening because of my son. What choice did we have? Desperation drove us and we ran from all that we had ever known. We fell into the arms of the ones who welcomed us strangers. Piercings. I remember when my son left us during a festival and I had no idea where he was. Piercings. I remember when we found him. He said, did you not know I would be in my father's house? Already, I wondered what definition of father and family he believed in. Piercings. Oh, in that horrible moment when Jesus was preaching and I wanted to see him. But we couldn't get in because of the crowd. We asked someone to tell Jesus, we are here. Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And I heard him say, who are my mother and brothers? They were the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Who am I? His mother. Does not family blood matter? It seemed like he was creating a new family. Piercings. Joseph apparently has long been dead, and Jesus is the firstborn and and the oldest. His mother is his responsibility, but he is about to die. Jesus has brothers and sisters. One would think that the responsibility for caring for mom would fall on one of his brothers, But Jesus makes a point, even in his dying breath, to not do that, but to give her into the care of another disciple, John, as an extension of his own care and love. John is the only disciple of the twelve that is faithfully present at the cross. He has made his loyal commitment to Jesus. He hears the word of God and obeys it. Jesus had nothing else to give Mary, but it would be enough. In these words, not only do we see compassion and we see provision, but Jesus serves notice that a new fundamental unit of relationship is being formed. It is not based on genetics, ancestry, or birth order. It is not derived from inheritance or lineage. It is not formed from bloodlines, but from his blood flow. Not family trees, but the tree of Calvary. It is based on those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus' words here at the cross have the effect of creating a new bond based on faith and discipleship that really supersedes but does not obliterate family ties. We call it the church, the fellowship of believers. Paul significantly calls this the household of faith or the household of God. He writes, we have our access to the spirit in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household, a dwelling of God in the spirit. The household, right, a word usually reserved for the extended family that lives together. And as such now, this household is eventually extended beyond national borders and ethnic lines to create a new family of God as father and Jesus as brother. So in this moment, in joining Mary and John, Jesus initiates the first church, those called to him and therefore by faith to each other. It is not a unit of kinship so much as it is now based on Jesus's kingship. 
John has now received a mother and a mother a son, and it begins the fulfillment of the words that he had spoke to Mary earlier. My family are those who hear my word and obey it. Woman, behold your son. Son, here is your mother. I finally will myself to behold Jesus. I do not look away. I don't just glance. I observe him on the cross. I consider and ponder him in my heart. Our eyes meet as he speaks to me. He is looking at me, then to John, then back to me as he speaks these words. He is calling John my son. Jesus is dying and has nothing to give me. Yet he's still providing for me. He's offering me a family. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Is this what he has been doing all this time? Creating something new? I turn and look at John. Jesus always said how much he loved John. And John knew it. In fact, he even called himself the one that Jesus loved. I always thought that was rather presumptuous, but now I get it. His faith in Jesus created a loving bond thicker than blood. So I do as Jesus says. I turn my eyes to his disciple. I behold John. I really behold him. The one who obeyed, believed in, and loved Jesus. This is what it means to be a family of faith. Our eyes meet. I take his hand in mine. I will be his mother. We begin a new family. Jesus dies, and so Mary lives. She leaves the cross a transformed person with a new son. Sometime after this, Mary became a disciple of her own son. She joins the family of faith, those who believe and obey Jesus. In Acts, we find that she is in the upper room with the rest of the disciples when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all who are present there. Once again, she is bearing God within her. In the breaths of her labor, she brought Jesus to life. Now, by the breath of his Spirit, She comes to life. In blood and water, she delivers Jesus. But by his blood and baptismal waters, he delivers her. As we leave here today, let us ponder this in our heart. Let it pierce us with invitation. Let it pierce us with challenge. Do we kneel before the cross throne of King Jesus of love? Do we need the tender provision, compassion, and protection of Jesus today? What do we hear Jesus saying to us from the cross? Have we said yes to this new family of faith with God as our Father? Do we hear and obey the words of Jesus? Do we take each other in and belong to one another? Indeed, at the cross... All who gather here, by grace draw near and bless his name. Amen.